8, 5-6, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto these things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. The Samaritans who populated the region of Samaria were a mixed people of partly Jewish and partly Gentile origin. Most Jews considered them unclean. The Samaritans maintained significant aspects of the Israelite religion, but read their own version of the Pentateuch, had their own temple, and held differing views on the exact role and identity of the Messiah. There was significant hatred and prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans at the dawn of the first century. Philip follows the pattern set forth by his master in extending the gospel of Christ to his Samaritan neighbors. The Lord was powerfully with Philip as the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. The Samaritans were apparently ready to hear the gospel. It could be that the work of John the Baptist and Jesus had previously prepared the ground and made it fertile, ready for the gospel message now being delivered by Philip. Acts 8 verse 7, For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. Philip was casting out demons, healing people. Samaritans got saved right and left. God's hand was mightily upon Philip in Samaria. The Samaritans were attentive because of the exorcisms and healings being done by Philip through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like the apostles and Stephen, Philip had also received the power to cast out demons and do miraculous healings to confirm the gospel message. The Samaritans were filled with great joy and received the gospel, Acts 8, 8 and 12. Now Simon and Philip, magic and the gospel, Acts 8, 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Before Philip had arrived, Simon had been practicing sorcery in that city and had been amazing the people, all the while claiming to be someone great. The Samaritans therefore revered Simon. Their feelings about him can be summed up with what is recorded in Acts 8.10. To whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. In truth, though, Simon was a liar. He was a false prophet. He had been deceiving the Samaritan people. False prophets received praise as fuel for their own selfish egos. True prophets, on the other hand, faithfully exalt the cross so that people's faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Surprisingly, Simon himself believed, verse 13. But while at first this seems to be an amazing victory for the kingdom of God, it soon seems that Simon did not genuinely believe. After Simon was baptized, he was noticeably amazed at the signs and miracles being performed through Philip. And based on Peter's later rebuke to Simon, verses 20 to 21, and his statement about Simon's wicked heart and need for repentance and forgiveness, in verses 22 to 23, it is safe to assume Simon had an insincere faith. J. Vernon McGee had this to say about this. Simon believes he is baptized, and he becomes a friend of Philip. You would certainly think he was a real child of God. However, he is not converted. We will see that there are also others who are professing believers but they are not born again. They have head knowledge. They go along with the crowd, but they are not saved. Although they have been baptized with water, they have not been baptized in the church of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And I'd say this is very true as of today as well. The people who make professions of faith, they'll have the head knowledge. They'll go along with the church crowd, do, do what they're supposed to do. They'll go to church, they'll 
They'll do the, uh, the Christian things that they're supposed to do. They may even deceive themselves for a while. But they're truly not saved. They have head knowledge, but they do not have heart knowledge. Perhaps you need to examine yourself. Are you truly saved? Do you have a head knowledge? Or do you have heart knowledge and head knowledge? Have you truly accepted the free gift of salvation by Jesus Christ? Is there evidence in your life of your salvation? Is there fruit of some kind in your life that evidences your salvation? Have you accepted by faith, with no work of your own involved, no merit of your own? For it is by faith and not by works that you accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. That you accept that he paid the penalty of your sin. He died in your place. He shed his blood to pay your sins, to wash your sins away. He washed you with his own blood. You just need to accept that free gift. You need to make sure you have the heart knowledge. Make sure you have the Holy Spirit living within you. Make sure you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit into the church of Jesus Christ and not just been have some water, been wetted with some water, but you've actually truly been baptized as a believer. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Peter had previously been given the keys to the kingdom in order to open the gospel to the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. Matthew 16, 19, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The apostles had come to see with their own eyes the work of the Lord in Samaria. They also came to sanction the work there. We know that the apostles and believers received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We know that Romans 8, 9 says that those who are saved also have the Holy Spirit within them. Yet here is an exception. The Samaritans were saved but did not receive the Holy Spirit until the apostles arrived. Why? Paul Chapel provides some insight with his answer to this question. By delaying the Spirit's coming to Samaria, God preserved the unity of the church. The apostles needed to give first-hand testimony that the Lord was working in the midst of the Samaritans. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they were a mixed race. By having the apostolic sanction, the Jewish believers and the Samaritan believers were linked together in their faith. Philip and the Ethiopian Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 29. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all for treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and setting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet, then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. In chapters 8, 9, and 10, we find the record of three remarkable instances of conversion. Chapter 8 gives us the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, a son of Ham. Chapter 9 gives us the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, a son of Shem. And chapter 10 gives us the conversion of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a son of Japheth. You will recall that the entire human race is descended from the sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. These three represent the ethnological and geographical division of the human race after the flood. We find in these three examples the gospel reaches out to representatives of these three divisions of the human family. 
You also notice from these examples that in conversions, three factors must be brought into focus before there can be conversion. All three of these are evident in these three representative conversions. Number one, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had taken Philip to Samaria, where a great moving of the Holy Spirit had taken place. The Holy Spirit moved him down to Gaza, and again we see his moving in the heart of the Ethiopian. The Spirit of God had gone ahead to prepare the heart and also to prepare the messenger. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us. We need to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to witness and to make confession. Number two, the Word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10:17. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to do the work of God in someone's life. And then number three, the man of God. The Spirit of God uses the man of God who delivers the word of God to produce a son of God, John 1.12, who was born again. We will see this in the record of the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 8.30-31, And Philip ran thither to, to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Matthew Henry had a comment along this line. In order to have a right understanding of the scripture, it is requisite we should have someone to guide us. Some good books and some good instructors. But above all, the spirit of grace to lead us into all truth. Where was the Ethiopian eunuch reading? Acts 8.32-33 The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. He was reading from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. He was reading the 7th and 8th verses. It is obvious he must have been reading for some time, so it is obvious he must have read the preceding verses. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 3-6. What a great starting point. When we let the Spirit of God lead, how wonderfully everything opens up and falls into place just perfectly. The Spirit of God will take the things of God and make them clear. Acts 8, 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. The Holy Spirit will use the word of God. Conversion requires the word of God. Simon Peter, whom God used so wonderfully in the conversions of multitudes, makes it very clear that the word of God must be involved if the person is to be saved. He wrote in his first epistle, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof fadeth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you, First Peter 1, 5-7.
23 to 25. The Ethiopian eunuch then accepts Christ by faith as his Savior and asks Philip a question. Acts 8, 36 to 39. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The Spirit of the Lord brings Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch sees Philip. Philip preached to him Jesus, expounds upon Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. They stop. The Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized. Philip gets taken away. The Ethiopian eunuch saw Philip briefly. Matthew Henry made this comment about the Ethiopian now that he was saved. He rejoiced that he was joined to Christ and he had these good tidings to bring to his countrymen, as well as the prospect of bringing them into fellowship with Christ. For he returned not only a Christian, but a minister. And J. Vernon McGee offers a great comment and observation regarding this account in Acts and what it may have led to. J. Vernon McGee said this, Philip is snatched off the pages of Scripture. He is not needed here anymore. The Ethiopian rides off the pages of Scripture in his chariot. He went on his way rejoicing. Now what about this man? The first great church was not in the United States, nor was it in Europe, nor was it in Jerusalem, nor was it in Asia Minor. The first great church was in northern Africa. The Ethiopian evidently went back, and through his witness and influence, a church was began.